Hello, and welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. Hi, I'm Julia. Uh, Ju- Wait. Uh, and I'm Lauren Taylor Farrell. What? I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Julia, what's what's going on? <laughs> I'm sorry. First of all, I messed this up. Second of all. No, it's okay. It's kind of because of our topic tonight. Today. Oh, no. What's... Jewel, what's wrong? So, heads up, everybody. This episode will discuss some taboo topics that may not be suitable for all ears, and listener discretion oh, is no. advised. So, oh, we never have that. We don't. We don't have that often, Jewel. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, I'm scared now. So, anyway, uh, Lauren, uh, Lauren, so uh, fabulously introduced last week. We had a a wonderful listener on Twitter <laughs> who suggested mm-hmm. that we do define december and we thought ha, 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 that'll be a great topic and yeah then immediately lauren was like i'll do met midler and i was like okay i guess i'll do this other topic and <sighs> <laughs> i mean no one had a gun to your head now <laughs> so i mean you've all seen the episode description our episode <laughs> this episode is called An Exercise in Poor Taste, The Abject Art of John Waters. Good morning, Baltimore. Every day's like an open door. Every night is a fantasy. Oh, boy. So I am going to probably get increasingly uncomfortable as this episode okay. goes along. Um, well, I'm, I'm going to try to um, say things as... Uh, clinically politely, yes <laughs> clinically as possible um okay. i feel like uh I, this is a real like i'm really an outsider on this one i'm really sure. on the outside looking into this episode you know what everybody this is we're i'm your avatar today because yeah. if you are already not familiar with john waters then you are in my boat and i'm mixing a lot of metaphors now but this is <laughs> This is Here's where the we're thing. At. <laughs> I'm I'm right here with you. Uh-huh. I'm here. <laughs> You're here with you me. You know? I'm here with you. I'm your support, you know? I if you need a break, I you might just throw things raise your to hand. You. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Toss it to me. I'm happy to I mean, I, I'm not much more knowledgeable, so okay. you know, we're both in the same boat. All right. Here. Well, but it's okay. again, feel free to jump in if there's I'd be things that I'm t- leaving out or <laughs> things that you think are also things people should know about okay. this. Great. So, <laughs> yes. I believe in you, Julia. Welcome to the second half of Divine December, everybody. So, John Samuel Waters Jr. was born in April 1946 in Baltimore, Maryland, and he grew up in Lutherville, which was a suburb there. Um, he got very interested in puppets around age seven, huh. and he would actually put on very in-demand, violent, and gory puppet shows for birthday parties, and people <laughs> loved it. Um, wow. One of his favorite childhood games was called Car Accident. It involved crashing his toy cars together and making up very gruesome detailed stories about the people trapped inside his vehicle. Oh, my God. Um, and to satiate her son's appetite for the macabre, his mother would often take John to the junkyard to look at the smashed cars there. That's a great, you know, Saturday afternoon activity. Julia, Julia, I was not expecting this to hit so hard, so quick. Early. Boom. Just early, like, 
Oh, wow. Okay. No, continue, okay. please. Okay, okay, okay. Um, and in his youth, John Waters would use a pair of binoculars to watch B-movies and X-rated movies at his local oh. drive-in. So, mm. yeah, here's we go. Uh, when he was a teenager, his grandmother gave him a handheld 8-millimeter Browning camera uh, with which he and his friends shot many of their first experimental films. Uh, so Waters never actually finished college. He briefly attended New York University's film school, but he was expelled for smoking marijuana cigarettes on what? campus jazz cigarettes the horror the <laughs> horror um so he grew his iconic razor thin pencil mustache when he was in his early 20s because he wanted to look like the singer little richard and huh. later in an interview with out magazine he said quote i wanted to be the only white man in america who had one and i still might be really i don't even realize <laughs> i have a mustache anymore i've done it for so long i just shave it from the top every day clip it twice a week from the bottom and if i miss i just draw it on so he is <laughs> he is committed he's had this look for nigh on 50 years now so. Committed to the bit. Mm -hmm. I give him a lot of credit. Mm -hmm. So John Waters has mainly resided in his hometown of Baltimore, Maryland for his entire life. All of his films are set and shot in Baltimore, often in the working class neighborhood of Hamden. He also mm -hmm. maintains apartments in New York City and San Francisco. And he, of course, has a summer home in Provincetown. Uh, Waters is an openly gay man and an avid supporter of gay rights and gay pride. Um, his favorite movie is the 1939 classic The Wizard of Oz, a film that oh. has inspired him since he saw it at a young age because he views the ending as tragic with Dorothy having to return to the drab and dreary Kansas and leaving the world of colorful characters and fantastical magic in Oz. That's um, that is a surprise. I was not expecting a movie so that's so like childlike and innocent and sweet mm -hmm. and mainstream to be his favorite. Yeah, he he um. He is very again. He's an avid film goer. He is sure. a, he's a big book collector too, and so oh. like he has consumed a lot of literature media. Yeah. and media and mm -hmm. everything over the years. So um, he is. I mean, I can tell he's kind of like a playful, eccentric, kooky character. Yeah, in real life, um, but there's. Mm -hmm. Ken. Oh, I'm sure there's there's, there's much to come in this episode, mm -hmm. folks. So here's my kind of disclaimer portion about this. And this is how I'm kind of viewing um, his oeuvre through this lens. So okay. the Tate in London describes abject art as art which explores themes that transgress or threaten our sense of cleanliness and propriety particularly referencing the body and bodily functions. Um, yes. So the abject is a complex psychological, philosophical, and linguistic concept that was developed by Julia Kristeva in her 1980 book, Powers of Horror. So in practice, the abject covers all bodily functions or aspects of the body that are deemed impure or inappropriate for public display mm. or discussion. Um, the abject has a strong feminist context in that female bodily functions in particular are abjected by a patriarchal social order. Um, mm -hmm. In the 1980s and 90s, many artists became aware of this theory and reflected it in their work. Um, in 1993, the Whitney Museum in New York staged an exhibition called Abject Art, Repulsion, and Desire in American Art, which gave the term a wider currency. And in depicting what most people would rather not see, the theory goes, um, this type of art breaks through societal taboos, especially those surrounding sexuality. Um, mm. So Cindy Sherman is seen as a key contributor to yes. the abject in art as well as many others, including Louise Bourgeois, who Lauren mm -hmm. covered in her excellent episode 102, Don't Be So Bourgeois. Um, so if I, <laughs> I'm approaching John yes. Waters's filmography through the lens of that it is abject art. 
Yes. And I think that is the right way to go. It's the right way to go. I would argue maybe because I was recently talking about ugliness and beauty. Um, If you want to watch my talk about it, it's on our Twitter. Um, But this concept of the sublime, right? So the sublime is the appreciation of beauty through the lens of horror. So it's this concept of like appreciating beauty through like a storm or something that could destroy you, like the Mm -hmm. ocean or something like that, where you're afraid and you're terrified, but you're seeing it as like this awesome, beautiful thing. So, I would say that abject art is like the appreciation of disgust through horror, mm-hmm. I guess, is like a little bit of that. It's like the opposite of the sublime, but still seeing it yeah. through the lens of like fear and disgust. And it's not my jam. No, not it's my um, jam. No, it's not. Uh, it's not popular. Mm-hmm. It's not uh, loved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, it's um, it is a very repulsive. It is. Style it is evoking emotions and reactions. Yes. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I don't want to see something painted with menstrual blood. That's just not That's just not for me. Yeah. And you know what? That's okay. Life is a rich tapestry and everyone can like the things that they like. Exactly. Not going to yuck anybody's yum. You exactly. Know? Exactly. So the filmography of John Waters. <laughs> um, his first short film was called Hag in a Black Leather Jacket, 1964. Wow. It cost $30 to make and it ran for 17 whole minutes. Wow. Um, so the plot, according to the internet, is as follows. Quote, a black man and a white girl are wed on a rooftop. He courts her by carrying her around in a trash can and chooses a Ku Klux Klansman to perform the <gasps> wedding. The wedding guests are played by people dressed in early pop influenced costumes such as American flags and tinfoil. Just okay. probably, you know, I mean, just not- from the from the get go, we're just yeah. we're just kind of we're- making it kind of. Provocative. It's provocative. Yes. Provocative. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. 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 Um, so he did some other short films next. Um, Roman Candles in 1966. Eat Your Makeup in 1968. And mm-hmm. the Diane Letter Story in 1970. These are occasionally screened as part of various John Waters' touring art exhibitions. Mm. Um, his first feature length film was called Mondo Trasho in 1960 mm. um, that had no dialogue actually and his second feature length film was called Multiple Maniacs in 1970 and that was actually his first like talkie movie so mm. um, with Mondo Trasho uh, he and his friends were arrested and charged with conspiracy to commit indecent exposure while filming it <gasps> um, because there was a scene with a naked hitchhiker in a convertible and but they were on like the Johns Hopkins University campus and they didn't yeah, have boy. permission to film uh, a naked man there um so yeah mondo trasho just right from the get-go starts with some like yes provocative storylines mm. you know kind of some characters that you wouldn't ever see coming out of like hollywood films so sure yeah again right off like like john waters hit the ground running okay yeah all right, 1972, <laughs> Pink Flamingos. Yep. Um, it is part of what Waters has labeled his trash trilogy. Um, mm-hmm. So Pink Flamingos, uh, whose tagline is an exercise in poor taste. 
The film stars what the countercultural drag queen Divine as a criminal living under the name of Babs Johnson, who is proud to be the, quote, filthiest person alive. While living in a trailer with her mother Edie, son Crackers, and traveling companion Cotton, Divine is confronted by a pair of criminals envious of her reputation who try to outdo her in filth. The characters engage in several grotesque, bizarre, and explicitly crude situations. Upon the film's re-release in 1997, it was rated NC-17 by the MPAA for, quote, a wide range of perversions and explicit detail. Along with the obvious profanity and nudity, Pink Flamingos has a number of, quote, increasingly revolting scenes centering on... <laughs> like, I'm watching, I'm watching Julia physically and mentally just melt. <laughs> In yep. reading this, yep. it's yep, 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 yep. let me get through the yeah. sentence. Uh, no, please continue. Centering I'm sorry. on voyeurism, exhibitionism, sodomy, masturbation, rape, incest, murder, cannibalism, castration, and finally coprophagia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I just, I just don't know why anybody watch that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, it's this, it's shock value, right? Like mm -hmm. it's, it's created to shock. It's created to elicit a reaction. It's provocative, right? Mm -hmm. It's 100% John Waters. Like that has been, I mean, you can't knock him for being very consistent <laughs> on yep. what his whole cutting like, edge is. Yep. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Mm -hmm. um, and in this day and age, it's almost quaint. Like it's, I mean, I've, I am a bad queer history aficionado in that I don't think I've seen a single John Waters film and have not really any desire to. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's tough. It's tough stuff. There's, there's a lot that happens in all these, but, yeah. but I'm going to do a little detour. Okay. Um, so as you know, we got here, it's divine December. I got to talk about the infamous drag queen divine. So of course it's the stage name of Harris Glenn Milstead. Uh, Milstead was born to a conservative middle-class family in Baltimore and he became interested in drag while working as a woman's hairdresser. By the 1960s, he'd embraced the Baltimore countercultural scene and he befriended John Waters who gave him the name divine and the tagline of the most beautiful woman in the world. Almost. Um, so divine has been described by people magazine as the drag queen of the century and Divine has remained a cult figure, particularly within the LGBT community, and has provided the inspiration for fictional characters, artworks, and songs. Um, Divine had a very signature pointed eyebrow look with a shaved yeah. back hairline and very cutting edge clothing choices. Um, um, as, a, as a drag queen, maybe could you could describe Divine a little more in detail, like are there particular, other particular things that he was known for? Yeah, so Divine um, was uh, a brash, loud, mm -hmm. mouthed drag queen. Um, very large, built. Very big, yeah. Big, a, big, a bigly built. queen. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, broad-shouldered and, and very, like, tall and, you know, brassy. Um, and would had these very sharp, pointed, like, over-the-top, up to, like, mid-forehead eyebrows. And kind of like an intense look, mm -hmm. like almost angry look, mm -hmm. um, with big pointed lipstick and and again, I didn't know that he shaved his hair back, but the wigs would start farther back mm -hmm. to create like more face. Mm -hmm. So there was just like this huge drag face. Yes. So it was just like a lot of look. I mean, drag queens already like it's an exaggeration a of lot. all features, right? Yeah. But 
Divine was like a lot, a lot. So do you think like even in the like the sixties, would that have been like a typical drag look? No, I don't think so. Like drag in the sixties and seventies was still very like pageanty, like pretty, like mm-hmm. trying to it I mean, don't get me wrong, like there was still sure. like underground and gender fuck and all of that stuff, but like a lot of drag queens were looking to look feminine, look, mm-hmm. look like women and you know, have a painted face and and like wear beautiful women's clothing and, you know, tuck and all of that stuff. So yes. yeah, Divine was a unique and very distinctive look yes, for a drag queen. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So um, he actually passed away in 1988. He had basically a heart attack, like right oh, no. after they filmed um, one of the movies that I'm going to talk about. And then, you know, everybody was very sad and very distraught. Yeah. And John Waters knew that he was never going to like recast somebody, like try yeah, to exactly. replace Divine in, in mm-hmm. all of his works. So again, Various books and documentary films have been devoted to his life, including Divine Trash from 1998 and I Am Divine from 2013. And yes, the Disney villain Ursula from The Little Mermaid in 1989 Mm. was inspired by Divine. And like people have gone on to say that like Divine would have loved it. Divine would would have loved to play this character and that, you know, he would have been honored by this. So, yeah. That's where the divine part of December comes in. <laughs> um, because after Pink Flamingos, we get Female Trouble in 1974, mm. also part of the Trash Trilogy. And I read the whole summary for this film. Wow. On both IMDb and Wikipedia. And I'm just going to tell you that of Female Trouble, this is a film in which Divine plays both a delinquent high schooler named Don Davenport and a man named Earl with whom she fucks on a mattress at the dump. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry you had to read the whole description on two websites for just that. I'm sorry. And then she, you know, then she gets pregnant and then has the baby and then the baby grows up to be a bad, a bad girl. And then, yeah, yeah. uh, Also played by Divine. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah there's yep Uh uh-huh all right all right all right all right all right right. yeah we're doing we're doing great uh the third part of the trash trilogy is desperate living from 1977 neurotic and delusional suburban housewife peggy gravel and her nurse griselda go on the lam after griselda smothers peggy's husband bosley to death and Mm. a cross-dressing policeman arrests the pair and gives them an ultimatum Go to jail or be exiled to Mortville, a filthy shanty town ruled by the evil Queen Carlotta and her daughter, Princess Cuckoo. <laughs> Peggy and Griselda choose to go to Mortville and their various social outcasts conspire mm. to overthrow Queen Carlotta after she banished her daughter Cuckoo after she eloped with a garbage collector named Herbert. Peggy gives everyone rabies and the queen is overthrown <laughs> and they roast her over. <sighs> I hate I hate this. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so okay like so what i'm regular stuff happens in this movie right like you know how the... <laughs> oh boy um this is probably the most challenging episode i think you've had i would yes yeah 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 maybe i should i really should have probably taken the john yeah. waters up um you know, yeah i you know i i wrote about joseph stalin murdering yeah, people you for did. like 40 pages i know that for me <laughs> <laughs> how is it that our december episodes are so hard for you <laughs> what a 
what a year. All right. Yeah. No, it's okay. So what I'm getting from a lot of these storylines is that they seem very um, uh, campy, B-movie, like fantasy, silliness, like very purposefully Purposefully over the top and tasteless. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So this is all like, this all like ties into not only like the visuals, but also the storylines and like, it's supposed to be funny. It's supposed to be disgusting. It's supposed to be strange. It's supposed to make you wonder what the hell's going on. Just like super regular stuff happens in these movies. Yeah. Yeah. Super regular stuff happens in these movies. (laughs) (laughs) It's why they're cult classics. Like that's the thing about cult classics is that, you know, they're so weird that it like tickles something in some people's brains and they're like, I just love it because it's so bad or it's so weird or right. so gross or whatever, right. you know? Yeah. I guess when yeah. I like, when I think of cult classic, like I, my mind just immediately goes to Rocky horror picture show. Yeah. Uh, and you know, this, I can kind of see some of this happening in the same vein, but obviously yeah. to a much yeah, more extreme extent. degree for sure. Yes. <laughs> <sighs> So in uh, 1981, John Waters uh, puts out Polyester. Um, So this movie kind of satirizes like the melodramatic genre of like female pictures, you know? Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. In Polyester, early 80s housewife Francine Vishpa watches her upper middle class family's life crumble in their suburban Baltimore home. Her husband, Elmer, is a polyester clad lout who owns an adult movie theater. She has terrible children, Lulu, her spoiled, promiscuous daughter, and Dexter, her delinquent, glue-sniffing son who derives sexual pleasure from stomping on strange women's feet. Um, (laughs) So there's a lot of John Waters-style storyline drama happening here. But of course, there's a happy ending at the end. That's nice, at least. Good. That's good. Um, One thing that is cool about polyester, I'll say, so it featured a gimmick called Odorama. So viewers could smell what they saw on screen using scratch and sniff cards. So um, Waters came up with this inspired by the work of William Castle in the 1960 film Scent of Mystery, which featured Mm. a device called Smell-O-Vision. So um, for Odorama, there were special cards with spots numbered one through 10 that were distributed to audience members before the show you know like you would nowadays with like 3d glasses at the movie theater um Mm -hmm. so when a number would flash on the screen viewers were supposed to scratch and sniff the appropriate spot okay but this is a john waters movie yeah of course (sighs) so for this film smells included you got this (sighs) roses flatulence model airplane glue Mm -hmm. pizza gasoline skunk natural gas new car smell dirty shoes and air freshener got through it you did a great job you did a good job so polyester was actually the first waters film to kind of skirt the mainstream it even got an r rating um his previous Mm. films were all unrated or rated x which is the equivalent of the present day nc-17 um and it turns out this film was set in a middle-class suburb of Baltimore instead of its slums and bohemian neighborhoods, which were the settings of his earlier films. So who knows yeah. if that had something to do with it, too. Okay. All right. Ready? 1988 yeah. is Hairspray. Oh, which yeah. Which is the mildest rating a John Waters film had ever received. It got a PG. And this one was not a musical. So the 1988 original Hairspray was set in 1962 Baltimore, Maryland, and the film revolves around self-proclaimed pleasantly plump teenager Tracy Turnblad, played by Ricky Lake, as she pursues stardom as a dancer on a local TV show, The Corny Collins Show. And she also rallies against 
racial segregation. Mm. Um, so Tracy's arch nemesis was Amber Von Tussel. And in that film, she's played by Colleen Fitzpatrick. Uh, Colleen okay. Fitzpatrick later went on to be known as the artist Vitamin C <gasps> of the graduation song. Oh my what? God. What was really? that song called? Wait, it was called the yeah. graduation song, right? Yeah, it was like, yeah, yeah, it was the graduation song. Or something. Okay, yep. And in that film also, Amber's parents are played by Sonny Bono and Debbie Harry. So like what? he's getting like real big names, big names coming up yeah. in his movies. Um, so of course, Divine was in this film. Divine played mm-hmm. Tracy Turnblad's mother. Um, and John Waters wrote that his all-time favorite review of Hairspray was David Edelstein's in Rolling Stone. He said, quote, this is a family movie that both the Bradys and the Mansons could adore. Um, so this was Divine's final film released during his lifetime. Um, he died three weeks later after its release. Oh, wow. And of course, this was later adapted as a Broadway musical and then remade as a musical film in 2007. Yeah, with, um, uh, oh, God, what's his name? As um, Tracy Turnblad's mom. Oh, yeah. They had John that Travolta. John Travolta. Yikes. Yikes. I mean, I know that, that the that character is always supposed to be like a drag queen or a cross dressing mm-hmm. person or whatever. But like he looked rough. like it was, rough. well, they put him in like also a fat suit, but like, yeah, very like, like, yeah, like put him in a ton of like makeup and, and was supposed to like, I, I don't know. I think it's not supposed to be like transformational. Like you're not supposed no. to say like, is that a woman? You know, <laughs> <laughs> like that's not John Travolta, is it? Like, it That's was, part of the conceit of the show. I don't know. Right. Whatever. Right. So, so after Hairspray, so I'm feeling better now. After Hairspray, <laughs> he does Cry Baby in 1990. So oh, yeah. that starred Johnny Depp as 1950s mm-hmm. teen rebel Cry Baby Wade Walker. And it had a very large ensemble cast that also had like a lot of popular people in it, including Patty Hearst. Um, So Crybaby centers on a group of delinquents who refer to themselves as drapes and their interaction with the rest of the town and its other subculture as the squares in 1950s Baltimore, Maryland. So a drape was the Baltimore colloquial term for a greaser. Oh, okay. From the 1950s. That makes sense. Um, so Crybaby Walker's a drape and Allison's a square, but they create upheaval and turmoil in their little town by breaking the subculture taboos and falling in love. And again, a lot of other weird stuff happens. Uh, sure, but the yeah. film shows what the young couple has to overcome to be together and how their actions affect the rest of the town. Um, and this was also the second of his films to be adapted f- for the stage as a musical comedy. I had no idea oh. that it became a musical. Um, that was also like, I would argue like peak Johnny Depp mm-hmm. hotness. Mm-hmm. Like he was 1990, like yeah. baby faced, high cheekbones. Like that was hot Johnny Depp. Right. And as you can see, like we're getting like real, I don't want yeah, to say real, like, but like mainstream. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so in 1994 is Serial Mom. Hmm. Do you know this one? So this is a black comedy crime film starring Kathleen Turner, Sam Waterston, Ricky Lake, and Matthew Lillard. So in this movie, Beverly Sutphin appears to be an unassuming upper middle class housewife living with her dentist husband, Eugene, and their teenage children, Misty and Chip, 
in the suburbs of Baltimore. <laughs> However, she is secretly a serial killer, murdering what? those who she perceives to slight her and her family or fail to live up to her moral standards. So, like, the movie poster for this is, like, Kathleen Turner with, like, I feel like she has, like, a butcher knife or something like that, like, right in the front, or a pair of scissors or something. Because she, um, yep, so she just, she just, you know, oh, you, you beeped your horn at her in the school pickup line? Now you're dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, she's she's holding a pie. She's standing in front of a picket fence and she has a bloody knife poised over the pie. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh, you broke up with her daughter and you were a bad guy. Oh, now you're dead. Like, yeah. So a lot of kind of like zany uh, yeah. ways to die Wacky kind of happen weirdness. in this one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. In 1998, we have the film Pecker. Oh, uh, and you know what? I'm happy to say that it has nothing to do with dicks. So <laughs> I feel like I saw this like saw ages Pecker? ago. Yeah. So I may um, have. It basically like is the rise to fame and potential fortune of a budding photographer played by Edward Furlong. And also in the summer, Christina Ricci, Lily Taylor and Martha Plimpton, again, among wow. many others. So the main character's name is Pecker and it's named for his childhood habit of pecking at his food. And he becomes mm. unexpectedly popular when a savvy New York art dealer named Rory Wheeler discovers his work. So Pecker's pictures, which are taken with like a very cheap camera, they're grainy and out of focus. They're unglamorous subjects, but they strike a chord with New York art collectors. Mm. So drama and hilarity ensue, of course. Um, and having seen his newfound fame disrupt the lives of his family and friends, Pecker upsets the art world by refusing to participate in a scheduled show at the Whitney. And instead, mm. he forces New York art collectors to come to Baltimore to see his latest <laughs> photographs. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So I was like, wonderful. okay, maybe. Yeah, that sounds perfectly maybe fine. I'd see that one. It doesn't have people like stomping on people's feet for sexual pleasure i don't know um so to your 2000 is cecil b demented um this stars Mm. melanie griffith as a snobby a-list hollywood actress named honey whitlock who's kidnapped by a band of terrorist filmmakers and they force her to star in their underground film uh steven dorf is the title character and the leader of their Hmm. group with alicia witt Adrian Grenier, Michael Shannon, and Maggie Gyllenhaal co-starring as the rest of his gang of kamikaze filmmakers that go by the name The Sprocket Holes. Uh, so the film is actually loosely based on the 1974 kidnapping of Patricia Hearst, who also has a cameo role in this movie. And in fact, Patty Hearst appeared in all of Waters' films since Crybaby. Wow. He... Are they friends? Yeah, he's friends with her. He's friends with, like, a couple of the ladies that were in the Manson family. like Yeah, that sounds right. That sounds like he would gather people like that around him. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And then, 2004, we have A Dirty Shame. Um, hmm. So, this is a, you know, satirical sex comedy starring Tracy sure. Ullman, Johnny Knoxville, Selma Blair, what? Chris Isaac, Suzanne Shepard, and Mink Stoll. So, uh, this, <laughs> this film... The people of Harford Road are firmly divided into two camps. The neuters, the puritanical Mm. residents who despise anything remotely carnal, and the perverts, a group of sex addicts (laughs) whose unique fetishes have all been brought to their, you know, to the forefront by accidental concussions. Eventually, through a series of bizarre head knockings, everyone in the Harford Road area of Baltimore becomes a dirty sex addict. (laughs) A Dirty Shame is currently the last film directed by Waters who said that the film's poor box office performance had prevented him from making more films. Um. <sighs> okay. 
All right. I got through it. I got through it. I got through it. You did great. So um, the Dreamlanders. So those are the cast and crew of regulars whom John Waters has used in his films. So the term mm-hmm. comes from the name of his production company, Dreamland Productions. Um, besides his art director, Vincent Peranio, other Dreamlanders include Mink Stoll, George Figgs, Bob Adams, Susan Lowe, Paul Swift, Chris Mason, and Peter Coper. And most notably, Mary Vivian Pierce is the only Dreamlander to appear in every one of his films, uh, though her scenes in Crybaby were actually cut from the finished product. Mm-hmm. But Mink Stoll has appeared in all of Waters' as feature films but didn't appear in the early short films since the early 1990s waters has been busy with visual arts and writing books uh he started creating interesting photo-based artworks and installations that ended up internationally acclaimed and exhibited it in lots of galleries and museums around the world his main themes of his projects are beauty in the fashion industry the phenomenon of consumerism human vanity and the world of transgender and queer people a few of his most popular pieces are two giant sculptures both from the year 2009 um so rush is a gigantic popper bottle with its spilled contents and La Mare is a giant replica of luxury anti-aging facial cream, La Mare. Mm-hmm. In 2020, Waters pledged to donate his personal art collection of 372 works by artists including Andy Warhol, Nan Golden, and photographer Diane Arbus to the Baltimore Museum of Art upon his death. Wow. Uh, the gift comes with two conditions, though. The art cannot mm. be sold, and two bathrooms in the museum must be named after him. That's pretty good. Yep. Um, if I got that, con- <laughs> If I got those conditions, I'd say... Where do we sign? Where Thank do we you, sign? sir. Exactly. In 2012, John Waters hitchhiked from Baltimore to San Francisco, chronicling his adventures in a book titled Carsick, picked up on the road by myriad characters, including a film financing drug dealer, a demolition derby driver, an 81-year-old farmer, and indie rock band. Waters carried a cardboard sign with the message, I'm not psycho. And I think at one point <laughs> on the trip, Patty Hearst joined him and was just oh like, Oh my God. You know, so somebody was like picking up hitchhikers and like, they're like, is that John Waters? And is is that Patty Hearst? (laughs) (laughs) So that's a weird. So wacky doodle. Oh my gosh. So uh, on on another good note, uh, John Waters loves Christmas. Uh, Oh, (laughs) that's great. In in Baltimore, he owns like a 1927 Italian 8 style house townhouse that he purchased because quote it looked like dracula's house at christmas time he decorates it with a wreath of thorns and party guests have reported that he has an electric chair in the from the movie female trouble that's prominently displayed in the entry hall and they strings it up with festive lights um he loves the yuletide season and friends and fans send him handmade ornaments and lots of like drawings of himself and other artworks inspired by him um his collection of ornaments includes a birdhouse modeled after the Unabomber's boarded-up cabin, a bedazzled oh. antler, and a bust of John Travolta as Edna Turnblad. Um, his musings Yikes. on the holidays, high and low points, eventually inspired an annual traveling stand-up comedy show called A John Waters Christmas. Um, this oh. year, you know, he, they canceled it in 2020, but in 2021, sure. the subtitle was It's a Yuletide Massacre. Um, <laughs> so here's the show description. Okay. From the from when it appeared at the Berkeley College of Music earlier this month. Quote, bad little boys and girls and everyone in between and beyond will be thrilled to take a sleigh ride of sleaze down the slopes of good taste and over the ski jump of religious beliefs to a snowdrift of candy cane anarchy. There will be no silent nights this year. The sanitization <laughs> of Christmas cookies and the wiping down of presents must stop. It's time to celebrate. Touch your face. Breathe on your family. Sit in the middle <laughs> seats on airplanes. Dance naked in retirement <laughs> homes. It's fun. It's a John Waters Christmas and fa la la, you're not dead yet. Um... <laughs> 
the That's format amazing. of the show is 70 minutes of John Waters monologuing, uh, followed by like 20 minutes of audience questions, which as I'm sure you can imagine. Oh yeah. A riot. A real, a real tr- true thing. So he, yeah. you know, this is a, this man has a, he's probably a genius. I mean, let's face it, but he's just operating at a so. level that a lot of us weren't prepared to no. learn about. And, I give him a lot of credit for just stick. You know, he's got one thing. He's got one he's thing. And he's sticking with yep. it. He's been sticking with it since day one. He's like, this works for me. This is the stuff I like. And you know what else I get from him? A true sense of that this is not an affect. Like, this is the way he really is. <laughs> like, this is the stuff he's legitimately interested in. Like, yeah. I mean, true to thyself. God bless you. Yeah. You know? There's, again, there's a lot in the filmography that I, you know, chose yeah. to not talk about and it's fun but i was trying to hit the points that would be maybe trivia related or something but <laughs> well you know what you know you're doing the lord's work Joel. um so <laughs> to, so finally to end this section uh in 2015 uh john waters delivered the commencement address at the prestigious rhode island school of design and he called himself mm. the people's pervert and he shared mm-hmm. his life lessons and he told the graduates quote contemporary art's job is to wreck what came before is there a better job description than that to aspire to so that's pretty good there you have it john waters and his abject art you did such a good job i'm so proud of you <sighs> this was out, so like, outside of your it was really outside of my comfort zone and I, it's okay you did you did so a good. lot of things <laughs> and that's okay you know what it's our podcast yeah we never claim to be comprehensive <laughs> we just claim to be entertaining that's it we try we try. hope that you are entertained by Julia's uh, palpable uncomfortableness <laughs> through this entire episode. So Merry Christmas, Merry everybody. Christmas. We hope you had a great Christmas. Yep. Coming out of the box for that one. Yep. Um, on a much different note, our quiz is called Good, Clean, Fun. This is a quiz on bubbles. Oh, my God. I will say, here's the thing. Hold on. Without telling me, at all he just steve just walked upstairs and just left a notepad and a real pen a real pen yeah at my desk he it was very <laughs> funny because okay so speak behind so the steve here. and some of our friends will like text us as they're listening to the episode in real time and it's mm-hmm. funny because sometimes we will have recorded it a few weeks ago sometimes sure we are busy that day that it comes out and we yeah come back to Did our desk listen. and we have like nine text messages and they're all just like uh she was using the wrong pencil ah that was definitely a fabric <laughs> pencil ah i can't believe she grabbed the other fabric pencil it's just like i was like i have no idea i have no no frame of reference what this <laughs> list of messages is about. So behind the curtain, I sit upstairs in our spare bedroom sitting at a Steve's grandmother's sewing table, ah. sewing desk. And in scrounging around for a pencil, I opened a drawer that has not been opened in 30 years <laughs> and grabbed a blue, like, fabric marking pencil that is probably 50 years old and tried to write with it so so that was i should have grabbed the orange pencil and here's the thing this is also we had dinner with my friend marlene hammond whitmore shout out to marlene hammond whitmore and her wonderful husband tom they were like oh we listened to your episode oh my gosh that was so funny um she was like 
I just love that you kept yelling about bangle hands. And I was like, no, 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 it was bagel hands. She goes, no, Lauren, it was Bangladesh. It was bangle. That makes sense. I was like, no wonder I had such a hard time. I thought Julia was saying bagel hands. It was bagel hands. Oh, it sorry, was? Maureen. Oh, my God. Oh, sorry, Marlene. Marlene. Oh, good. Okay, it was get bagel hands. All right. Whew. Good. I'm not crazy. <laughs> anyway, please tell me your quiz. <laughs> I thought it was funny because bagel hands was so like out of the, like yeah, that would have been funny. your clue. That was funny. That's what stuck in my craw, yeah. obviously. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. This episode is called Good, Clean, Fun. It is a quiz on bubbles. Question one. Two inventors were attempting to develop a three-dimensional plastic wallpaper in 1957 when they instead ended up creating a highly addictive packing material that was later trademarked by the Sealed Air Corporation. What is the trade name of this product? Question two. Bubbles the chimpanzee was once kept as a pet by which American singer who purchased him from a research facility in the 1980s? Question three. What is the title of the Nickelodeon children's show highlighting the underwater adventures of a group of merpeople preschoolers named Molly, Gil, Gobi, Dima, Una, and Nani? Question four. Bubble tea, also called pearl milk tea or boba, among other things, is a tea-based drink with chewy tapioca balls that originated in which island country off the coast of China? Question five. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, the name for what British cooked potatoes and cabbage dish alludes to the sound the ingredients make while being fried? Question six. Bubble Bobble is a 1986 platform arcade game from Tato about two dragons named Bub and Bob who set out together to save their girlfriends from the Cave of Monsters. Even if you don't know that game, you should recognize the manufacturer's name as the publisher of the highest grossing video game of all time. What shoot 'em up arcade game released by Tato in 1978 ushered in the golden era of video games? Question seven. What is the two-word term for a vessel filled with a superheated transparent liquid used to detect electrically charged particles? It was invented in 1952 by Donald A. Glazer, who experimented on his early prototypes using beer. Question 8. A mixture of sugar, spice, and everything nice, the Powerpuff Girls are three kindergarten-aged girls with superpowers who live in Townsville. What signature color does Bubbles wear? Blue, green, or pink. Question nine. Sometimes professional sporting teams adopt popular songs as their anthems. For example, the St. Louis Blues NHL team is known for Laura Brennigan's song, Gloria. Over in the UK, West Ham United's anthem is a 1920s song called I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles, which fans have been singing for decades now. In which specific sports league does West Ham compete? And finally, question 10. Reginald Bubbles Cousins was a recovering heroin addict and criminal informant on which Baltimore set HBO drama created by David Simon. I'll give you a minute to think and then be back with your answers. Hey there, teenage Baltimore! Don't change that channel, because it's time for the Corny Collins Show! Brought to you by Ultra Clutch Hairspray. Kids, 
Julia, you're not going to fucking believe this. <laughs> the pen that Steve gave me ran out of ink, so I had to go into the drawer <laughs> and I had to get the blue fabric pencil. I had to write all my all my answers with the fabric pencil again. I can't believe this. <laughs> It's because the man I married doesn't put a cap on a pen. He has never put a cap on a pen his whole life. And this is this is the consequence. <laughs> this is this goddamn paper pencil? <laughs> this is how I die. <laughs> you're, gonna, you're gonna lose your voice. You're gonna tr- you're gonna have to write a note oh, to like God. slip it under a door to tell somebody to save you. You can't read it. You can't read it because it's a fifty year old fabric pencil in light blue. <laughs> oh. Do you want me to just end the episode now? <laughs> just, just end it. Bye, everybody. Hope you had a nice Christmas. Happy New Year. <laughs> No, I think I think I got some of them. I think I got some of them. Okay, <laughs> I I am gonna th- I'm gonna throw this at Steve after this episode. <laughs> I'm gonna throw this. And throw it. Why out. don't you just like? Oh, would it be me? Would you? Would you be sad if you broke it in half? The pen? Yeah, no, oh, the, the pencil? pencil. Oh, yeah. Oh, I no, should pen. Do that. Break the pen in half. That's I will fine. break the pen in half yeah. <laughs> and then put it under his pillow. I'll break it. Yes. <laughs> I'll break it over my knee and just <laughs> shake it in the air. <laughs> Good, clean fun, everybody. Good, clean fun. We love this. Here. All right, here we go. Question one. Two inventors were attempting to develop a three-dimensional plastic wallpaper in 1957 when they instead ended up creating a highly addictive packing material that was later trademarked by the Sealed Air Corporation. What is the trade name of this product? Is it bubble wrap? It is bubble wrap. Okay, woo. Good. Yeah, woo. Yeah, start off easy. Uh, So the bubbles of bubble wrap, they come in various sizes, Lauren. Um, They can be as small as six millimeters. That's about 0.24 inches in diameter. And they can be as large as 26 millimeters. That's like one inch or more to provide added levels of shock absorption during transit. Uh, The most common bubble size is one centimeter, just so you know. Um, And bubble wrap appreciation day is apparently celebrated on the last Monday of January. So everybody stockpile from your all of your holiday presents because the yep. last Monday in January is the day to just pop, 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 just roll around on the floor on top of them. Also, by the way, from coming from someone who's a collections person, is that when you wrap your items in bubble wrap, you wrap them with the bubble facing out. Ah, not yes, the bubble facing in because mm-hmm. it can create marks on your precious items. Stuff yes, F Y I. Question two. Bubbles the chimpanzee was once kept as a pet by which American singer who purchased him from a research facility in the 1980s? This is very sad. It's Michael Jackson. It is Michael Jackson. So Bubbles was initially kept at the Jackson family home in Encino, Los Angeles, but was moved to Jackson's home at Neverland Ranch in 1988. There he slept in a crib in Jackson's bedroom, used Jackson's toilet, and ate Jackson's candy in the Neverland movie theater. Uh, By 2003, though, Bubbles had matured into a large and aggressive adult chimpanzee, unsuitable Mm -hmm. as a pet, like many captive chimpanzees, and was actually sent to a California animal trainer. Um, And Bubbles was later moved to the Center for Great Apes, which is a sanctuary in Florida, where he has lived since 2005. 
Um, the media reported, so like the media loved to talk about bubbles. Like this was oh, like, sure, yeah. you know, another like, uh, Michael Jackson's such a wacko, jacko, weirdo. crazy weirdo. Mm-hmm. Um, they also reported that bubbles would be the ring bearer at Elizabeth Taylor's October, 1991 Neverland ranch wedding to her oh seventh God. and last husband, um, construction worker, Larry Fortensky. Mm-hmm. That report was untrue, but according to the New York times was quote, an idea that some newspapers found too delightful not to report. Yeah understandable yes question three what is the title of the nickelodeon children's show highlighting the underwater adventures of a group of mer people preschoolers named molly gill goby dima una and nani that's bubble guppies it is bubble guppies mm-hmm. uh, we may have actually talked about this all the way back in episode 85 kids wow. these days that was about tv in the year 2019 um so anyway um gill the uh, little mer Little mer boy Gil. Uh, he is a he is a pet named Bubble Puppy. Oh, very cute, Bubble Puppy. That's very shows cute. up in a lot of storylines. Um, so the show has been on since 2011, and new eps even started premiering with its sixth season in October 2021. So you know, kind of like the British, just like a season can start whenever, and it can be however yeah. many episodes long they feel like it. So Four it's actually episodes. it's been on for six seasons, but it's been on since 2011 with new episodes coming out this year. So oh, okay. okay. There we go. Bubble guppies. Question four. Bubble tea, also called pearl milk tea or boba, among other things, is a tea-based drink with chewy tapioca balls that originated in which island country off the coast of China? Is that Thailand? It is not Thailand. Shit. The answer is Taiwan. Ah, damn. Yes, yes, yes. So Taiwan, Taiwan. uh, the country's main island was formerly known as Formosa, uh, which what Mm. it was named by its by Portuguese um, explorers and Taiwan's political status has been contentious over the years. Um, It is officially called the Republic of China or ROC and it participates in most international forums and organizations as Chinese Taipei. So you might see it listed as that too, but they tend to call themselves Taiwan. Yeah. Question five. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, the name for what British cooked potatoes and cabbage dish alludes to the sound the ingredients make while being fried? That's bubble and squeak. It is bubble and squeak. And I didn't have any uh, any more flavor text to add to that. What Hey-o. else can you say about <laughs> potatoes and cabbage? Other than it's probably real good with a pint. Oh, I bet. All right. Question six. Bubble Bobble is a 1986 platform arcade game from Tato about two dragons named Bub and Bob who set out together to save their girlfriends from the Cave of Monsters. Uh, even if you don't know that game, you should recognize the manufacturer's name as the publisher of the highest grossing video game of all time. What shoot 'em up arcade game released by Tato in 1978 ushered in the golden era of video games? Oh, man, I am not great at this. Because at first I was like, oh, that's Call of Duty. But that's not true at all. Call of Duty is Call deci- decidedly no. contemporary. Call of Duty didn't come out in 1978. No. It's no. a shoot 'em up game mm-hmm. in 1978. Mm-hmm. It's not um, Metroid, is it? Is that a game? <laughs> that is a game. Yeah, you're naming okay. games. That's good. Um, <laughs> Don't patronize me. Video You've definitely game museum played worker. this. You've played this I game have, before. I have not played many video games. In fact... I can't name a single video game I've actually played. Have I played any video games? I don't think so. Definitely not when I was a kid. 
And we were Josh just shrugging his shoulders. He doesn't know if you've ever played a video game. Uh, <laughs> so what if I told you that um, you are shooting at alien spaceships? Uh, oh, uh, alien. Ooh, there's a lot of video game nerds listening to this episode right now screaming at their um, car radio or down there, Apple iPad, iPods or... Uh, I don't know, guys. I don't know, Jewel. I'm space sorry. Space invaders. Space invaders. You know I have space heard of invaders. that. Yeah, I know what space invaders are. And it was inducted into the World Video Game Hall of Fame in 2016. And you might have heard, um, you know, maybe you tuned in to when Lauren and I did a live trivia event at the Strong Museum earlier in 2021 yeah. all about the World Video Game Hall of Fame. So you might have heard us chat about it there, too. But yeah, um, Space Invaders is the highest grossing video game of all time. Okay. There we go. All right. Now I know that. Now you know. Question seven, a question for Dr. Polly. Uh, What is the two-word term for a vessel filled with a superheated transparent liquid used to detect electrically charged particles? It was invented in 1952 by Donald A. Glazer, who experimented on his early prototypes using beer. Is this something that you'd see in like a 1950s B movie where like the scientist is like in his lab? I think so. Yeah, where it's like bubble, 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 and like there's like a twisty well, it's glass tube. Big. It's a big thing usually. Is it? Yeah. God. Is it a? Well, pick a two-word term uh, with the word bubble where in one it. One of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say a uh, a um a bubbler a a scientific bubbler i like that that? and maybe they'll um change the name of it oh good from bubble chamber oh no i've never heard of this yeah 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 so for this glazier won the 1960 nobel prize in physics so this was like a big deal so it's similar to a cloud chamber a bubble chamber is normally made by filling a large cylinder with a liquid heated to just below its boiling point and as particles enter the chamber there's a piston that suddenly decreases its pressure and the liquid Mm. enters up into a superheated metastable phase and charged particles create an ionization track around which the liquid vaporizes and forms microscopic bubbles so bubble density around a track is proportional to a particle's energy loss so um there was a really big heavy liquid bubble chamber detector called gargamel in (laughs) operation at cern which is the consaya european pour la recherche nucléaire um between 1970 and 1979 and so this gargamel was designed to detect neutrinos and anti-neutrinos which were produced with a beam from the proton synchrotron (laughs) particle accelerator (laughs) between 1970 and 1976 i was like this is all very scientific i was gonna say you seem very comfortable speaking those words (laughs) much more comfortable than some of the things earlier (laughs) so yeah a bubble chamber huh they're maybe not so much in uh, in use anymore but um but gargamel was a really big one was a big guy all right cool right question eight it's pretty much multiple choice. A mixture of sugar, spice, and everything nice. The Powerpuff Girls are three kindergarten-aged girls with superpowers who live in Townsville. Uh, what signature color does Bubbles wear? Is it blue, green, or pink? Please, that's blue. Yes, Bubbles is blue. Yeah. Um, so Blossom, the leader, she wears pink. Mm-hmm. Buttercup, who's like the hot-headed tomboy, wears green. Yep. And Bubbles has blonde hair and two pigtails. She's very cute. 
and wears blue and she is the softest and sweetest of the three. All right. Question nine. I love this question. Hope you go. Hope you do it well. This okay. is the first time I'm hearing it because I was uh, <laughs> definitely deep in a freak out, out okay. at this yeah. point. <laughs> Question nine. Sometimes professional sporting teams adopt popular songs as their anthems. For example, the St. Louis Blues and the NHL. They're known for Laura Branigan's song Gloria. Over in the UK, West Ham United's anthem is a 1920s song called I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles, which fans have been singing for decades now. In which specific sports league does West Ham compete? A specific sports league where Mm -hmm. they sing I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles. Is this water polo? No? Oh. Is it is it the swimming? This song doesn't really have to do with oh, it. Oh, it doesn't have anything to do with it. But what does West Ham United do? What sports? They, what sports? I mean, are I would they? I would assume they play football. Okay, so what sports league would they maybe play in? Oh, um I mean the the UK Football League? I don't know. <laughs> it's called I don't know. It's called the it's called the English U- United Football League. <laughs> the, the FIFA? Is it FIFA? Is <laughs> the I'm answer so is the Premier League oh. is the top tier of English football. Oh, I didn't know. Well, they have various tiers. Like you get relegated. Like maybe you're in the Premier League one season and you play badly. And then yeah. you get relegated from the Premier League to like a different league. So sure, you can yeah. move up and down and up and down. But West Ham United is part of the Premier League. Um, so when players come into the pitch and at other mm-hmm. times of celebration, as the song I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles is being sung, about mm-hmm. 60 bubble machines produce bubbles that rise high into the stadium. Um, so the song was introduced to the club by former manager Charlie Painter in the late 1920s. Um, so at the time, there was like a Piers soap commercial that featured a curly haired child from the John Everett Millais painting called Bubbles. Mm. It was very well known at the time. And so this child apparently resembled a player player of the team, Billy J. Bubbles Murray, um, oh. from a local schoolboy team at Park School, where the headmaster was Cornelius Beale. And Beale was known locally for his music and rhyme and wrote special words to the tune of I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles whenever any player was having a, a good game. Um, so West Ham has played at, um, they moved to London Stadium in 2016, but they played at the Bullen Ground from 1904 till 2016. Uh, so I think some other, you know, tangentially related other anthems you should know. So the Liverpool Football Club, that's also in the Premier League in the UK, Lauren, is You'll Never Walk Alone. And they actually okay. have it like in, like um, engraved on like the gates as you go in is You'll Never Walk Alone. Uh, Manchester City, also in the Premier League, is Blue Moon for some oh. reason. Okay. Um, uh, the Yankees is typically New York, New York. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. The Boston Red Sox has Sweet Caroline. Yeah. For my fellow Yenzers, um, We Are Family by Sister Sledge is the Pittsburgh Pirates. And of course, Renegade by Sticks is the Steelers. Yeah. So, yeah. Which so I, it's fun I learned in a quiz. Yeah. Just like everybody else. Should. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And finally, question 10. Reginald Bubbles Cousins was a recovering heroin addict and criminal informant on which Baltimore set HBO drama created by David Simon? Um, Baltimore set HBO drama. That is, oh, that's, um, is that The Wire? It is The Wire. Yes. Yes, yes. yes. So Bubbles was played by 
Andre Royo. Um, so The Wire ran from 2002 to 2008. There were like 60 episodes over five seasons. Each season introduces a different institution of the city and its relationship to law enforcement. But it still, oh. you know, has the characters and like advances the storylines from previous seasons. So the five subjects are in chronological order. The illegal drug trade, the port system, the city government and bureaucracy, education in schools, and the print news medium. Mm. Um, and so some other character names you should know from the show... Jimmy McNulty, who's played by Dominic West, uh, Russell Stringer Bell, played by oh, sure, Idris yeah. Elba, um, Omar Little, who was played by the late Michael K. Williams, and William Bunk Moreland, played by Wendell Pierce. I've never watched it. I think I have a friend at work who started watching it. Like she's watched it a couple of times with her husband. I'm like, yeah. it seems like a very intense it seems show. Super, super intense. And I feel like there's um. There's a part on like a bit on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend where someone was yeah. like, oh, yeah, what'd you do this summer? And they're like, I watched The Wire. They're like, oh, I wish I could like go back and watch it again. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, I wish I could see it through your eyes. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. not for knowing. the first time. Yeah, for the first yeah. time. Yeah, I remember that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, you did such a good job. I'm so proud of you. Thanks. Closing out the mm. year. Just, you know, just pushing those boundaries, pushing those comfort zones. Yeah. You know? Sure did. God bless. Thanks, Lauren. You're welcome. You did a great job. Um, and you you imparted a lot of knowledge and a lot of information, and that's what we're all about I hope here. So. That's what we're about. And also entertainment, because apparently I will never find a, a working pen <laughs> in this household except for this fiber <laughs> pencil. I'm gonna lose my mind. <laughs> I'm going to lose my mind. That's how they like they're Steve is going to have to hospitalize me and I'm just going to be like slathering at the mouth about this fabric pencil. And they're going to be like, wow, she's really far gone. <laughs> I'll be like, it's, I have a podcast and I just, <laughs> ma'am, you're going to be like, shh, Lauren, shh, relax. you're safe here. Um, so, <laughs> uh, thank you, Julia. And thank you everybody. Yeah. We hope that you've had a divine December. Yes. The good divine, not good like divine. the gross divine. Yeah. Um, we hope that you have a very safe and happy new year. Absolutely. And we will see you and talk at you next time yes. in the new year in 2022. Yes. Yay. Yes. All right. Uh, goodbye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>